This is a Clark University podcast. I remember when my parents told my brother and me that we would be moving to the United States. We didn't know what that meant. We didn't know what the United States was. We maybe watched some TV shows that featured non-Asians or American people, American shows, but we had no idea what it meant to live there. So from the moment that I landed in Flushing, Queens, New York, everything was different. I didn't speak English at all. Started school probably two weeks after I arrived and everything about the school environment, everything about the language, everything about the way the people looked, everything was different and entirely foreign and alienating. It was very much like a science fiction novel where someone finds themselves landing on a different planet and having to figure out how to survive there. Science fiction became a way for me to learn and talk about myself without talking about myself. Betsy Wong is an English professor and is the Andrea B. and Peter D. Klein Distinguished Professor at Clark University. She's among the scholars who began to take up science fiction in the academic space in earnest, teaching the genre in classrooms and writing about it in journals. Betsy's first journey into the world of science fiction was with a copy of The Hobbit, a children's fantasy novel by author J.R.R. Tolkien. Betsy was 12 when she picked up the book and followed the story of Bilbo Baggins, a timid hobbit who departs his calm, quiet life and sets out on an adventure. The Hobbit was this little hobbit that went on an adventure and went to different lands and met different types of people. And it felt very close to me as a young person who immigrated to the U.S. from Taiwan when I was 10 years old. To me, it feels like science fiction is just about immigration and about migrations and about resettlements, about the experiences of people who are forced to move, who have to move, who voluntarily move, find themselves in a different social or cultural context and having to figure out how to coexist with people who are very, very different from you. I'm Melissa Hansen, a producer in Clark's communications office, and this is Challenge Change. Sci-fi often brings readers and viewers into apocalyptic and post-apocalyptic fantasy worlds. This subgenre was the setting in HBO's The Last of Us TV series, which follows characters after a global pandemic has destroyed civilization. Viewers are still reeling from the season finale that aired Sunday night. There is a glut right now of post-apocalyptic narratives. We've had everything from 12 years of The Walking Dead to The Last of Us. It's always about what a post-apocalyptic scene looks like. It's usually a scene of great loss. We've lost everything from our systems and structures to our everyday resources. And hardship is basically the game of the day. When we watch these TV series or when we read these stories, what we instinctively want is a return to the social order that we have right now. 
We want a restoration of what we had or what we currently have. That's actually not very progressive because it loses the critical edge of what we're doing now that is going to create that problem down the road. What feels like a progressive text may actually have the reverse effect. We want to see more nuanced science fiction that really helps us think through what is that we're doing today that will lead there. Some real practical solutions for mitigating all of our bad behaviors. Something that moves us to doing better without this finger wagging that I think post-apocalyptic tales do without actually explaining to us all of the things that we are currently doing that led us there in the first place. Let's rewind a little. Science fiction has long been dominated by white male writers. Some of the genre's most popular books are replete with harmful racist narratives. Early science fiction tends to be the playground of white male writers. Many of them were actually apologists for nativist views, frankly, very explicit, outright racist perceptions of the foreign and the different. You have the works of, for example, people like H.G. Uh, Wells, um, which celebrated as Wells is, has plenty in his personal writings and in many of his fictional works, very, very clear and explicit nativist and racist views. H.P. Lovecraft, another one in a fantasy world, certified very clear expressions of nativism, of anti-immigrant sentiments, and this is all very well documented. As a reader, as, as someone who sees herself as an immigrant, who reads a lot of this early science fiction, of course, we see ourselves as the objects of this kind of racist critique. That probably led to reasons why a lot of writers of color did not choose to write science fiction early on. That brings us back to The Hobbit. The book played a major role in sparking Betsy's interest in science fiction, but it's a fairly conservative text. You may have a lot of different races or species of people who inhabit the world of Middle-earth, but they're fighting each other, they never mix and mingle, they don't pair up the race of men with elves. But generally speaking, they were using some pretty harmful tropes, right, to represent people who are different and particularly people of color. There's been quite a lot of scholarship that already documents very persuasively the way that Tolkien sees the Shire and the Hobbit as this sort of ideal race of people, absolutely innocent, coded as white, coded as European, whose safety and innocence must be protected from a lot of the more sort of demonized races, if you will. Everything from the orcs to the Orokai to Mordor, a lot of that in the fiction and in the films are oftentimes coded as black. And that's really, really problematic. 
It's really through four decades of good scholarship to really understand how that kind of coding could bring more harm and to create just more replications and reproductions of conscious or unconscious bias or racist representations in science fiction or in literature in general and for public consumption also. And we've moved away from that now in a lot of science fiction. There are a lot of cultural wars that are still being fought in the science fiction worlds and the speculative fiction worlds around these kinds of issues. But generally speaking, we do understand those of us who read, who teach, who write, and who really advocate for science fiction understand it to be a place that should be much more progressive authors of color and LGBTQIA writers started to enter the science fiction world in the mid-20th century and have been producing stories that envision the future they want to see. Examining the role of gender in sci-fi can date back to an 1818 classic. Everyone refers back to Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein, of course. The fact that you have a female voice that is behind the male voice of Victor Frankenstein, the scientist, reveals a lot about how gender plays a role in the way that Victor Frankenstein freaks out <laughs> over his own creation or his own birth, if you will. Victor Frankenstein creates this creature. It's very close to a form of giving birth without involving a woman and does not know what to do with this creature that he has created. And it's about, you know, a kind of nominal parent freaking out over his new role as a parent. He does not know how to parent. He's a bad parent. And he just basically abandons his child, if you will. And the child sort of grows up damaged, <laughs> to say the least. You could read the role of gender and who is doing the writing and who is doing the speaking in explicit and implicit ways from the earliest science fiction texts. A lot of science fiction writers who are uh, not male have to come up with pseudonyms or pen names and publish under clearly sort of male identifying names in order to get published. And it wasn't until uh, probably, again, mid-century, mid-20th century, when people like Ursula Le Guin and a little bit later, um, oh, Joanna Russ, some others, a little bit later, Octavia Butler, you know, writing as both Black and female, right, in that space to really kind of kickstart uh, the entrance of writers who uh, are differently gendered. Science fiction imagines the future, but these concepts aren't predictions. It merely diagnoses the present. It really forces us to look closer at the present so that we could possibly prevent some kind of negative version of the future that we don't want to see. And one way of doing that is to write a future that we do want to see. If LGBTQ, non-binary, BIPOC, neurodivergent writers want to see a world that they could flourish as opposed to constantly writing and speaking from the margins, then they have to write a world that actually make that seem like the norm as opposed to a future that we want to work toward. That's what I expect to see. That's what I am already seeing in a lot of science fiction, where there isn't a lot of exposition about how this is a future that we want to see. It's normalized. 
what we want from science fiction is not the familiar. What we want from science fiction is always the different and the strange. And that's what drew me to it. I always found the, the familiar really boring, right? So science fiction is that really radical place where you could think about how to live in a world where there are 30 different genders or, you know, 150 different species and everyone's speaking all kinds of different languages and trying to figure out how to coexist. It's a way of talking about us without actually talking about us. To learn more about English at Clark, visit clarku.edu English. Challenge Change is produced by Andrew Hart and Melissa Hansen for Clark University. Find other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. One, two, three. Clark! <laughs>